And you're listening to Unusual Sources here on 93.3 CFMU. That's 93.3 on the FM dial here in Hamilton. And of course, you can reach us online, live streaming all the time at CFMU, which is at our new website, cfmu.ca. And we're on 5 to 6 p.m. on Wednesday. So thanks for tuning in because we have an exciting guest, and that is Rabbi David Miviser, who was recently a delegate to the NDP convention from Hamilton Center. And of course, he's an active member of Independent Jewish Voices as well. So David, thank you very much for joining the program today. Well, thank you for having me. Well, you're here in the news as far as we're concerned. Your name has been popping up. Uh, you're one of the people that is central to what is happening at the NDP convention and all the issues surrounding that. And um, I mean, basically, I'm a member of Independent Jewish Voices as well. And so I'm on the email list or lists or whatever. And uh, there must have been 300 messages in my email inbox this weekend uh, to the point where I could not keep up with what was going on at the NDP convention. And, and it was just incredible. It hasn't been this busy in a while. And so obviously there was a resolution that the independent Jewish voices and Palestine solidarity activists in the NDP were trying to get pushed through. And it's highly likely that ordinary Canadians don't know a lot about that. So I might start by asking, uh, what is the NDP? No, I'm just kidding. No, seriously. What, uh -huh. what, is, <laughs> what is the resolution that you guys were pushing through? Like, what was the name of it? And what was the content? Mm -hmm. Thank you. So the resolution was called Justice and Peace in Israel-Palestine with a hyphen. I'll just say, I think that hyphen indicates that they're both the same place. It's one thing. We're not talking about two different places. But anyway, that was the name of it, Justice and Peace in Israel-Palestine. And basically, it was saying two things. And it was saying that the NDP supports ending Canadian trade with illegal Israeli settlements on Palestinian territory. And then the other thing was to suspend um, Canada-Israel bilateral military ties until Israel um, respects Palestinian human rights. Those were the two points. Now, thinking about this, I guess it's probably similar to what happened last time. Um, there had been some people mentioning that in 2018, uh, during the convention, and I think we covered this on this program, actually, uh, there was a similar attempt to push through a similar resolution. So was it, was it similar in content? And like, how did it go last yeah. time? Well, it was very similar in content. It might have been word to word the same. But what happened last time is that the NDP has a, had a procedure by which the resolutions that are submitted for consideration by the um, convention are like vetted and then prioritized uh, so that, you know, not all of them can come to the convention floor. There's just too many of them, right? How can you consider all of these things? This year there was 480 resolutions were submitted, right? So somebody has to sort through them and decide what's the priority, right? So the NDP has always had a process that actually has been very secretive, a kind of a backroom inside deal where certain people, we don't even know who, like decide which resolutions make the cut and can even be talked about. Um, so even though in 2018, 
this resolution was supported by more than 20, maybe two dozen, I don't know, um, EDAs or riding associations, meaning the riding association discussed it, voted on it and supported it. It had very widespread support. Even with that, the uh, secretive group of people that are like the gatekeepers um, just, just kept it out. So there was a move in the convention, like kind of an emergency move, or like I move, you know, a motion to actually bring this into the convention. And when that was coming up, all these like NDP staff people and all these people like flooded the room and voted no. So it was essentially shut out, never allowed to be discussed. That was 2018. Also in 2018, a great group of people within the NDP who are called the Courage Coalition pushed through a change in the NDP's uh, procedures so that that would never happen again. And instead, all the delegates get to vote on all the resolutions and the delegates determine which ones get prioritized. So that's what happened this year. That to me is a huge sea change and a very positive thing in the internal democracy of the new democratic party. And the result was when everybody could vote on this resolution as it came around again, it actually came out ranked second in all the resolutions dealing with foreign policy. So because it was second, you would imagine that it would come to the floor and get discussed. So what happened this year is the first resolution, I think, to be honest with you, I think it was a rather non-controversial one. It was a position that virtually everyone would agree with. Obviously it was ranked number one, wouldn't you think everyone would agree with it, right? But the people managing this who are so opposed to having Palestine discussed, managed to basically use up the time allotted for discussion. We have 40 minutes to discuss and vote on things. So they introduced amendments and points of order and challenged the chair. And they're just like eating up the time, eating up the time. It felt like to me, like being in a basketball game and somebody's trying to run out the clock, you know, <laughs> so you can't like shoot the final basket, you know? And it was terrible. It was like, it was terrible. Dozens and dozens of people worked on this for like literally for three years to get it to this point. And they were going to shut it out. And right, like at the last moment, that other resolution got like cleared. Ours came up it, and it got voted on and it got passed, I think, by 85% of the people there after this horrible like procedural maneuvering to try to kick it to the gutter again. So, so it did pass, it passed by a very overwhelming majority. Um, and it's actually, you know, in the great scope of things, like, like I know that people living on the ground in Palestine, people that are literally locked in to like the largest open air prison camp in the world called the Gaza Strip, 2 million people locked into a place that's actually one third the size of the city of Hamilton. You know, I could go on with this, right? They have electricity, you know, less than half a day. They don't have drinkable water. All their food supply is controlled by Israel. I just wanna say, I, I don't think like the quality of life for those people suddenly jumped up because the NDP approved this resolution, right? But it does give us a platform from which to continue the struggle to try to affect Canadian policy, you know, for the NDP to adopt this resolution, like, Canada's policy hasn't changed. The NDP is still the number four party in Canada. 
And just because the convention adopted it doesn't even mean that the MPs themselves will actually promote it. You know, the leader of the party, Jagmeet Singh, seems to want to ignore it and not talk about it, even when he's directly asked on CBC about this resolution. He, like, I think he might, I, you know, I mean, we can talk about like what's actually going on here, but to pass it is meaningful and it does give us a platform from which to continue the advocacy, like a stronger position. This has been demonstrated. 85% of the delegates in the NDP convention voted yes. <laughs> so we did it. Whew. And it was, it was not easy, believe me. Well, we're analyzing a success here and not a failure, as in, in that, the case there of- There you go. <laughs> we're not yeah. used to this in the NDP right. for Palestine well, resolutions, no. I know. No, 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 that's right. Things were done differently. And in 2018, they set it up to be work a little better next time and strategically. So that was good. As you point out, it's not going to lead to a material change on the ground for Palestinians right now. But on the other hand, Israel seems to think these things are very important. And as yes, you see with other yes. <laughs> related issues, they, yes. they very much believe there's an ideological battle. So obviously on that front, this has been very important. I've been That's involved right. in a number of debates within the NDP uh, for resolutions at conventions. I imagine there must have been some a debate there. Was there, was there a debate surrounding this? I mean, how did the discussion concerning this number two priority resolution go? You mean debate on the convention floor, so to speak? Yes. No, actually, it's what I just told you. It's kind of like, um, it's like they, it's like they delayed it, delayed it, delayed it, delayed it, and then boom, <laughs> it happened. So no, in fact, there, there was not debate. And when you say you got three hundred emails about it, there was tremendous um, discussion about it, not in the convention, right? <laughs> the convention is very controlled. It's very managed. It's, like, it's almost like completely staged manage. And I'll go even farther and say that I don't think this would have been voted on if the leadership of the party actually didn't want it to be. I don't think they let it squeak through and get voted on by mistake or accident. I don't think that was a screw up. I think, anyway, just say, no, there wasn't, there was really no debate at all. You said that the Israeli government and what you didn't say, the Israel lobby in Canada seems to think that this kind of um, discursive victory is very important. Um, well, that's the case. And they really want to completely control the discourse. So if you look at their website, when I say they, I'm talking about what's called CIJA, which is C-I-J-A. It stands for the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, and that's the name of the main Israel lobby in Canada. So their website talks about um, the NDP, I'm going to quote, is, has a, a toxic obsession with Israel. Okay, hold on. So this is CIJA's website talking, and they're commenting on this recent uh, convention. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about exactly what you said. Yes. So see, you know, so... Sija couldn't succeed in controlling this and preventing it from getting passed and adopted. So they're labeling it a toxic obsession with Israel. And I, I mean, I tweeted, I said, no, we have an obsession with freedom, equality, and justice for Palestinians, right? And if you want to see who's obsessed with Israel, just look in the mirror, you know? 
So this is a, a it is a it is a kind of a battleground, you know, and um, you know who gets to dominate and you know maintain influence over Canada's policy, and for for us to be able to to even get this far, in in our own circles here is is a, actually a tremendous victory. Yeah, I skimmed through that CJO release. It seemed very negative in, in wording. <laughs> well, you could say that. Negative is one thing, but just completely distorting and lying is something else. So, uh, yeah. So we need, we need to build on this victory. We need to carry it further. People in the NDP need to uh, do everything we can to get the actual functional leadership of the party. I'm talking about Jagmeet Singh and certain you know members of the... Uh, caucus and parliament to get them to actually um, enact what the membership has now voted for. Right. There's a couple points about that. Uh, first of all, I mean, you keep mentioning the, the leadership of the NDP, and obviously there's frustration here with that in regard to promoting Palestine solidarity and a bunch of other issues. Um, I understand there was supposed to be like a, a leadership review uh, for Singh, but that didn't really, I mean, something like 12% of delegates voted for a leadership review. So what happened there? That wasn't really connected to the other activism? Well, well, those 12% definitely connected it, right? And I think, I think actually, if, if we look at the overall performance of the NDP in the, in the, like what's been going on in Canada in the last year, I'm really proud of the NDP. The NDP moved so much um, in like our country's response to COVID and like the, I, I can't quote these things. Other people can do that better, but the amount of benefits, like, you know, the liberal party, the liberal party government of Canada was going to provide Canadians, you know, of course, out of our own money, right. They collect our tax money and then give some of it back to us. Right. But it was going to provide a certain level of benefits. And, you know, because it is actually a minority government, and the NDP can influence things. I'm just saying the NDP, I think overall has done very good things, even though we all probably wish it could do better. And we all have some disagreements with Jagmeet Singh and anyone else, you know? So when it came <laughs> all through the whole entire convention, I was gonna vote like, Yes, we need a leadership review. Yes, we need to, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna give this guy a piece of my mind and I'm gonna vote no on him. I'm talking about Jagmeet Singh. And then when the moment came to vote and I had before me like, yes or no on Jagmeet Singh, I'm like, okay, all right, I'll say yes. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> cause actually he and I are not gonna get to sit down and talk it out. And he's not gonna, you know what I'm saying? If I said, if I said, we need a leadership review, it's not gonna, it's actually not going to bring about the outcomes that anyway, just, you know, I think the leadership review doesn't depend on one issue or another. We have to look at the big picture and that's obviously how the delegates in the convention felt, even though well, I understand they that disagree about certain issues, you know, overall, I obvious more than 85% of the delegates approved of and just want to keep going. Another factor you have to remember is that we're all concerned about an election coming up. And I think we don't want the party to be using too much of our, you know, resources and our attention and everything for internal party stuff. When what we really need to do is just get as many NDP MPs elected all across the country. Well, now that you're talking about Singh a lot, it reminds me, 
I mean, he kind of helped your campaign there for that resolution. So he said or did something on the House, which energized our own activists. What exactly happened there? Well, if I remember right, he was asked about these two resolutions. There were two resolutions related to Palestine that were going to, they were, they were prioritized, right? The one that we've been talking about and another one. So the host on the house asked Jagmeet Singh something like, you know, what did he think about these resolutions? And Jagmeet Singh, rather than answer that question, he, he for some reason, he felt compelled to make a speech about the NDP is against anti-Semitism and we will fight anti-Semitism, like as if anybody's not against anti-Semitism and as if that has anything at all to do with resolutions about Palestine. You know, so he was like, um, obviously, I would say for him, this is a subject which he seems to be very, very concerned about addressing in a fulsome and open and thoughtful way. I think he's dodging and attempting to stay on what he thinks is very safe ground. But by doing that, it's actually like a failure to deal with something so important. And as you just said, it does energize us to realize that we really have to just push on this party. Right now, the NDP is the only one of the, the, the federal parties in Canada that would even entertain anything like this. Well, so when you say us, I mean, who was in the NDP pushing hmm. for the at least one of the resolutions? Well, that's a really great question. So we had a very broad coalition. Um, I'm active with independent Jewish voices. We were one of them, but I have to say that the resolution that passed was really championed by a, a little team of four, well, actually, I think five people, um, two of them who I know are Palestinian, uh, two of them who I know are Jews, and um, then there were organizations like um, Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East, it's a very important organization. There was the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. There was Palestine House, which is in Mississauga. And there were also academics. There were labor groups. It was a very broad kind of intersectional um, grouping of people that recognized the importance of taking a moral stand on Palestine. And it was, it was, it was great. It was well, really great. this kind of cooperation has been ongoing. Um, and yes, it was something that must have been in the back of Jagmeet Singh's mind when he was asked about the two resolutions. And yes, we've only talked about the one resolution, the one that got through. But of course, there was the other one about the IHRA. Um, so this is one we didn't get to hear as much about what was going What were you trying to do on this? Or what, what was the issue surrounding the IHRA? Mm -hmm. Well, just to give some background, this IHRA, the, the words, the letters stand for the International Holocaust Remembrance Association. And that is basically an invention as a strategy to label um, criticism of Israel and serious, thoughtful talk about human rights and democracy and freedom for Palestinians as. Uh, anti-Semitic hate speech. Okay, so this is an effort by like an Israel lobby to make up a definition that makes it hard to criticize Israel. That's right. I think I think I, I could be very specific, and if you want, I will. But say roughly. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, after the the UN conference in Durban, 
about racism, Durban, South Africa, this is about 20 years ago. I don't remember, maybe around 2003. Um, actually, Canada's um, a Minister of Justice, Erwin Kotler, was there. And that conference severely condemned Israel's treatment of Palestinians as racism. And part of the reaction to that was Erwin Kotler and some of his uh, colleagues and associates thinking about a strategy that they came up with, which was to, um, they, they say this explicitly, to equate anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. And I just want to say that criticizing Israel's uh, current treatment and past treatment of Palestinians isn't necessarily even anti-Zionist, right? There are, there are people who are Zionists who are like, you know, horrified by what Israel is doing to Palestinians. But anyway, so Erwin Kotler and other folks like that came up with a very successful strategy that's being played out even today. I mean, literally today, right in Hamilton, to create this thing called the International Holocaust Remembrance Association. And of course, everyone is very sympathetic with the Holocaust and everyone more or less understands that we should have like remembrance of the Holocaust and relating that to anti-Semitism, and then relating that to like, they use code language, like it's anti-Semitic to deny the Jewish people's right of self-determination. Just, this is exactly what they say. It's anti-Semitic to deny the Jewish people's right of self-determination. So if I, a Jewish person who's lived in Israel, whose adult daughter lives there now, et cetera, et cetera, if I say, you know, I really think all people living between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, or all people living under the control of the Israeli government should be treated equally. They should all have equal democratic rights. Well, if I say that, then that's going to mean that the Palestinians are going to take over and the Jews won't have their right of self-determination. So that's an, that's an anti-Semitic statement. I've been, I've been called anti-Semitic for that. So just to go back, so this IHRA is a way to say that saying certain things about Israel's treatment of the Palestinians is anti-Semitic and therefore needs to be prohibited. And whether or not it's adopted into law, it has a huge chilling effect on people who are denied jobs, denied grants that they applied for, write articles that never get published because the journal is afraid to have this in it. You know, artists or filmmakers can't show their stuff because the people organizing the, uh, you know, the exhibit or whatever are afraid that that'll be deemed anti-Semitic. This happens. So, whew, what a long answer I'm giving you. So, well, I mean, it's wait, says, let me let me let me let me let me let me just cut to the chase here. So, we, um, uh, without going into details, we created a proposed um, resolution to say that the NDP opposes this IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. Of course, the NDP is against anti-Semitism. Everyone is. So that is, that is the other resolution. And I'll, ju I'll just pause there because I know I, I talk so long. 
Well, I think about this in the context of what's happening to all sorts of individuals. You have Jeremy Corbyn, of course, one of the nicest anti-racist campaigners in the United Kingdom being labeled an anti-Semite by basically the entire media there. And then, you know, he talks to Nikki Ashton and wants to be in a forum with her. And then, and then she gets in trouble because she talked to this anti-Semite Jeremy Corbyn, which is ludicrous for many, many reasons. And Completely. so, Completely. I mean, this is this is the kind of environment that proposals like the IHRA right. seek to create. They want right. to create an environment exactly. where exactly. a nice person who's an anti-racist their whole life and right. just, you know, they, they, they want to spend money on social programs and all of these things. Now they're a bad anti-Semite and, you know, you have to go after Nikki Ashton, you know, one of the most right. left-wing people in right. the NDP. So, you, I mean- you, I, just want, I just want to pause you a second. Do you remember who said that? It was the executive director of the Broadbent Institute. Oh, right. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm making a point about the internal struggle in the NDP, the Broadbent Institute, for any of your listeners that don't know, is closely associated with the NDP. Ed Broadbent was the leader of the NDP. So the executive director of the Broadbent Institute criticized Nikki Ashton for associating with Jeremy Corbyn and then smeared them with this very false allegation of anti-Semitism. So on one level, we have these, um, this, just call it the Israel lobby, you know, Israel advocates, using this false allegation of anti-Semitism to suppress honest talk about Palestine. But on another level, as you can see, like Brendan's saying here, what's, what happened to Jeremy Corbyn, it gets used against progressives of all kinds, people that want to talk about all kinds of issues in society are, are uh, very damaged by this. Yeah, it's like they're building a brick wall, you know, and at the bottom layer of bricks, they're saying, if you talk about Israel in this way, it's anti-Semitic. And then the next layer is, well, Jeremy Corbyn talked about it in this way, so he's anti-Semitic. And then the next layer exactly. is, well, you talked to Jeremy Corbyn, so you're anti-Semitic. Well, and that's exactly, that's what happened here. And also for, for all the listeners, I mean, this is very actively being pushed in Canada right now, and right here in Hamilton, like right here in Hamilton, this was done two weeks ago. Um, the main organization that's pushing it here, as I said before, is CJA. I, I think I just said this, but I'll just say it again. So CJA asked our mayor if he would make kind of a proclamation about this day of remembrance of the Holocaust. And of course he did that. And then they tacked on this thing for him to say that his office would be guided by their definition of anti-Semitism, which of course the mayor of Hamilton would say a thing like that. He doesn't know how contested this is or what the hidden purpose of it is. So he said that, I, I don't fault him for that. But then immediately, like I'm telling you, like within a half an hour, like, like their PR machine put out press releases that are still on their websites today saying the city of Hamilton adopted this definition of anti-Semitism, which is not, right. so it's, this not true, to... <laughs> not true. But now that can be used as more pressure. And they are claiming, oh, oh, the fifth biggest municipality in Canada adopted this. What they're not saying is that it went to the Vancouver City Council and got rejected. 
It went to the, the Montreal City Council and got rejected. It went to the Calgary City Council and got rejected. It went to the Toronto City Council and it had to be withdrawn and never came to the floor because they knew it wouldn't pass. So in Hamilton, they didn't even take it to the City Council. They just kind of tricked the mayor into saying something and then misreport what he said. Yeah, I was just thinking it alludes to what we were talking about earlier, which is that Israel wants, they want everyone to believe all these organizations are under their banner. And so yeah. the IHRA is a way to recruit people into something that sounds innocuous. It's about anti-racism and not being anti-Semitic, but it's really to make it very difficult to criticize Israel, get all these municipalities behind it, whether they are or they're not, and then announce it, proclaim it to the world. Yeah. We have Hamilton on our side. You know, We have the Pacific Islands on our side. Right. So something I've seen over the last few months is they failed to get it adopted uh, democratically. And actually the uh, provincial legislature was considering it. It was introduced as a private member's bill, passed a first reading, passed a second reading. And before the third reading, there was such mounting um, opposition to it in our provincial legislature that all of a sudden uh, Doug Ford adopted it as an order in council. So it couldn't be discussed. There's no democratic process. Doug Ford adopted it. And then Sija can proclaim like, oh, it's been adopted by the province of Ontario. Well, I'm sure Doug Ford did a lot of research into the issue first. Oh, he's such a deeply thoughtful person, of course. <laughs> well, what are, <laughs> what are the next steps in this campaign then? Because I, I know there must be statements coming out in the newspaper and, and people realizing that this is actually a debate, a debate over what is anti-Semitism, what is acceptable speech, and, and that mm. it, we kind of got pushed into this and, and, uh, and now we actually have to talk about it. Well, actually, I'm trying to pivot away from that. I've, I've said like that actually is not the topic, right? That whole thing is a ruse. It's a trick to get us to talk about anti-Semitism. We should be talking about what is Israel doing to Palestinians and how is Canada complicit in that? I don't really think anti-Semitism is that much of a problem. I, you know, I'm saying that on record. This is a radio broadcast, anti-Semitism actually affects very few people. There's hardly any of it. You will see claims by groups like B'nai B'rith that anti-Semitism is increasing. They actually say that anti-Semitism increased in Hamilton more than any place in Canada between 2018 and 2019. So when I moved to Hamilton, I was a little curious about that. And I went and I talked with uh, Detective Paul Corrigan who was the head of the hate crimes unit of the Hamilton Police Services. I asked him if he could tell me about that. Like, what's that based on? Like, what are the actual incidents of anti-Semitism here in Hamilton that that report is based on? So he got out his files and he told me reported incidents of anti-Jewish hate crimes. And I'll tell you some of them. One was a plant was taken from a garden at a synagogue. Can you imagine that? The people at the synagogue came one day and they saw that a plant was missing from their garden and they reported it as an anti-Semitic hate crime. So that is a reported anti-Semitic hate crime on the books in Hamilton. And I'll tell you another anti-Semitic hate crime. A van was seen driving in Hamilton with a swastika on the side. Whoa, well, that was investigated by police and it turns out it belongs to a Hindu temple and the swastika is a sacred symbol for them like a cross on a church or a star of David on a synagogue. But that's on the books as a reported anti-Semitic hate crime. I'm just making a little case here that although there is anti-Semitism in our society, I just don't think that 
is the topic that we should be talking about. And what we, what we really need to talk about, like I said, is what's being done to Palestinians. Um, yes. And I'm glad there are so many people in the NDP who realize that and they are building coalitions. And I mean, you guys have made an intervention into the Canadian political scene. So, I mean, that's mm. a very, you know, it's a positive development. And on the whole, yeah, anti-Semitism, racism issue. I think I was on the CJA website recently. I think it was them. And it, it said something about, oh, we think anti-Semitism is the number one hate crime in Canada right now. And Except they don't say we think. <laughs> Oh, they just say it is. Right. Okay. Well, that, that seems to be unlikely. There are racists out there. There's anti-Semites. But I think that doesn't add up. So especially with all the things that are going on right now. And uh, actually, you know, ac- actually, Brendan, um, Independent Jewish Voices just published a study of the use and misuse of anti-Semitism statistics in Canada. It just went up on our website less than two weeks ago. So anybody that wants to look into this more, it's called the use and misuse of anti-Semitism statistics in Canada. And the thing that I just said about these like reported anti-Semitic hate crimes going into the statistics, right? That's in this report. You can look in it very deeply. Go on the Independent Jewish Voices website and um, it's right there. It's one of our resources. Wow, well, that reminds me then because going forward, the IHRA and the related issues in Hamilton may continue to be an issue. And we'll, we might have to talk to you again yes. about that. Yes. So in that respect, if people want to get the latest from you, just like they can go to IJV and mm. get racism statistics, where should they be looking to see more from David Mivisair? Oh, well, that's a really nice thing for you to ask me. I have a pretty active Twitter account. And uh, it's, it's just my name, Mivasair. M-I-V-A-S-A-I-R. Yeah, yeah. So that's me personally, and I, I really encourage anyone who's interested to connect with independent Jewish voices. And I, earlier I talked about uh, Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East. They're a very effective organization. The Canadian Foreign Policy Institute's doing great work. And right here in Hamilton, you know more about this than I do, I think, Brendan, but there's a group called something like the Hamilton Palestine Support network that has yeah a- there's actually a couple of groups and uh you know we, we we're familiar with a number of the palestine organizers and um there's people itching to do some activity i know the quarantine has prevented the kind of events we're used to but i'm well, starting to have, see people there's many there's very important things we can do without being together in person and um also people at mcmaster there are organizations at mcmaster devoted to this so anybody that wants to learn more i would recommend any of those websites and I just want to mention one other, if anyone's interested in learning more about this IHRA uh, trickery, actually, there's a website that has a lot of information that's, that's just called noihra, N-O-I-H-R-A dot C-A. Oh, great. Well, I think we got our plans going forward. So thanks very much, David. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you.